Hello, I'm Elena Lapin, and I'm very happy to welcome you to our special Love Reading podcast celebrating the winners of our inaugural Love Reading Very Short Story Award 2019. We begin with a reading of the winning story in the judges category, Oh, I Do Love a Banana by Susanna Crossman, read by Rebecca Payton. Enjoy. Oh, I Do Love a Banana by Susanna Crossman Stanley Green couldn't remember if he needed cheese. He looked down at the supermarket conveyor belt. His shopping splayed out on old black rubber. Two bunches of bananas wrapped in cellophane, a bottle of bleach, yellow and white. He felt his stomach lurch, patted his pockets for his list, written that morning with an inky biro. In the crowded supermarket, 80s music was playing. Don't you forget about me. Stanley drummed stained fingers on his thigh, glanced impatiently at his watch. It had stopped. He shook his wrist, tapped the glass. It must be early evening. Home soon, Stanley thought. Home soon. His thought was like the first sighting of land from a ship, desperate, warm and glorious. In the queue in front of Stanley was a woman, long hair, a tight dress holding her body in curves. On the conveyor belt, a thin plastic bar separated Stanley's shopping from the woman's. One carrot, an onion, minced beef, a giant bar of dairy milk, a glossy magazine. Stanley suddenly pictured his wife, Helen, evenings spent in the hoovered lounge, flicking through magazines, turning pages sharply with her long, wine-coloured nails. Looking up, she would ask, Pass me a banana, Stanley, and then peel the skin off, bite into creamy flesh, saying, Oh, I do love a banana. But Helen was dead now. Terrible business. Stanny looked back at the black conveyor belt. The scuffs and scratches made him think of night skies, the lines between stars, the constellations of the plough, the Big Dipper. He searched for a mark to be his north star, but a voice interrupted him. Move, mate. Stanny turned. Behind him was a scowling boy with earphones, an oversized tracksuit, clutching a large can of deodorant, a pack of extra strong cider, and a single rose. Move, mate, he repeated. Stanley moved. The boy put his shopping on the conveyor belt. Now Stanley was hemmed in tight between the woman and the tracksuit boy. The only way to go was forward shuffling in his loafers that needed to be rehealed. The conveyor belt buzzed. Stanley hated tracksuits. Once, in his job as a tailor, he had had to make velvet tracksuits for the whole family of an Arab millionaire. Stanley stared at his fingers. He was convinced he had had five things to buy, one item for each finger, Bananas, 
bleach and... When he worked, he had put a thimble on his thumb, protecting his skin against sharp tailoring tools, scissors, needles and pins. Every day, he had used brown paper patterns to record customers' measurements, shoulders, chest, inner and outer thigh. His two hands, Helen said, made miracles. In front of him, the woman put her shopping in a bag. The onion and the carrot disappeared. Stanley glanced at his bananas, recalled a song from his childhood, Bananas in Pyjamas. In the song, bananas eat teddy bears, but now that seemed impossible for a banana to eat a bear. In the queue, Stanley almost laughed out loud. He looked at his loafers. He knew he couldn't laugh here. At home, he often talked to himself. Wiping surfaces, he'd say, Come on, Stanley. Clean the house. Pull yourself together. Helen, I miss you. Oh, why? Inside his four walls, the heating on full blast, his words babbled, a soliloquy. The house was a blanket, beige and warm. Sometimes, in the blind comfort, his litany blended with tears and he would fall to his corduroy knees. The only place he could be. Now, he heard a loud voice. The woman took her bag and said, Goodbye, goodbye. Stanley saw her curves go out the door and longed to follow her. He'd been a dancer in his day. All Helen's friends had wanted to dance with him, be twirled and turned. But he was never a bastard, he told himself, never. The conveyor belt advanced again. In the queue, the boy behind him grunted and straightened his cans, the single rows. It was Stanley's turn. Supermarket lights bore down on his balding head. Forcing himself forward, Stanley smiled at the cashier. Hello. Warm for June, she said. Stanley wanted to answer, Before you look round, it'll be Christmas. The words turned like circles in his mind, familiar and comforting, but somehow wrong. Instead, he said, Yes, soon they'll all be complaining about a drought. The cashier smiled. Stanley wished he had more to say, that his shopping was piled higher. He wished he had more items to buy. Cheese, spray cleaner, a cauliflower, socks, a birthday card with sparkles for his granddaughter. Helen had written all the birthdays in a special book. She would have said, how time flies. The cashier smiled at Stanley, scanned the bananas in the bleach, three beeps. That will be £3.57, she said. Of course. Stanley reached for his wallet, but when he opened it, there was no money inside. He went to get his card, but there was nothing there. Looking up at the cashier, Stanley's eyes grew wider and wider. They opened ineluctably like flowers. His heart beat, his bladder loosened. Stanley opened his mouth and closed it. He grabbed the bananas, turned and ran. 
Sir, the cashier said. Mate, the boy shouted, but Stanley wasn't listening. He didn't look back. He was galloping in his loafers through the automatic doors, heading for his house. Ten minutes later, Stanley was home. Door bolted, locked. He turned the heating up, felt a cold draught, and put an old towel by the crack under the front door. Nothing could get out, and nothing could get in, Stanley thought. In the kitchen, on the counter, was a shopping list. Without looking, whistling, he crumpled it into a ball. Better get to the shops later, Stanley said to himself. He ripped open the cellophane packet of bananas, peeled back the yellow skin and bit into creamy flesh. Oh, I do love a banana, he said. Susanna Crossman, welcome and congratulations on being our winner of the very first Love Reading Very Short Story Award 2019. We just heard your story, Oh, I Do Love a Banana, and this is the first time we speak about the story, the first time we have an opportunity to talk to you. So here you are. We would love to know everything about you. (laughs) (laughs) How, first of all, where do you live and what is your writing background? Um, Well, first of all, just to say I'm thrilled to be here and I am very happy to have won the prize. So I'm an Anglo-French writer and I'm based in Brittany in France. Mm. I've lived uh, half of my life in Britain and half of my life in France. My writing background... I've always uh, read and written since a very young age. When I was young, I won short story competitions and wrote a lot. And then about five or six years ago, I began writing again seriously. And at that point, had a lot of my work published, was lucky to publish a book in France. And then had my, I was lucky to have my work spotted by my current agent, Jessica Craig, Um, And everything has flowed from there. So So where did your agent, your current agent, see your work? Uh, She first discovered my work with a short story I had published in Litro. And my short story has been supported a lot by a number of small presses, Mm -hmm. recently by Zeno Press. Now I've got work coming out in bigger presses like Neue Rundschau. I've also published in the Creative Review in projects like Visual Verse. So, yeah, in a number of different places, but the very specific she story that she found, which funnily enough was also, uh, it, this was about an old woman mm-hmm. um, in France. Uh, that was the, the story, one of the stories that my agent first read that I'd written. This is really interesting because, you know, obviously we read the submissions blind. We mm. don't know who the author is at all. Mm. And just judging from this story, it was not at all obvious whether the author was male or female, mm. age unclear, none of that. But So let's speak about your winning story, which really captured the judge's interest and imagination. And I personally fell in love with it immediately. It was definitely my personal favorite. I think I'm allowed to say that because when you judge competitions, you know, you can like and love different stories for different reasons. And I really related to this story because the character of Stanley is such a recognizable, warmly present character, an old man whose loneliness is 
palpable in everything he goes through in that very moment of just doing his shopping and then doing his shopping maybe again and again over and over and not really remembering. How did this idea come to you? I think, first of all, when I was about 18, I got very close to my grandmother, who I'd barely known before then. So she was about 75 at the time. And I always remember her saying to me, I still feel like I'm 35 years old inside this body. And from then on, I think I've always looked at people with a very different perspective to do with their outer and inner lives. So I think the character is partly based on this kind of fascination. I often write, uh, I published another story recently, which was based on an 11-year-old child. I'm interested in different ages. So yes, with this character, I was very interested in the idea of that solitude and then constructing this very specific moment, which I think short stories, because they are almost a meeting point between prose and poetry, mm-hmm. there's something very strong um, chronologically in time. So it's a very short, short story. It ta- the actual span of time in the narration is over. He's standing at the till and these items are going through. And yet he and himself is moving back and forwards in time to memories of his wife, to being in his house, to who he was when he was a dancer and was invited by all the women to go dancing. And um, so, yes, I think I was trying to explore that shifting sense of time from the character base, but then also in the narrative of the story. And the character remembers, he goes back in time in his head, of course, but at the same time he has issues with his memory, his memory of the present or the closest events that just happened or are happening now or happened five minutes ago is not that good. But his memories of, you know, a lifetime Mm. ago are crystal clear. Mm. Isn't that a very strong point in the story as well? Yeah, this loss of time. Mm. And I think at different ages, we have very, very different perceptions of time. Young children have very different perceptions of time. Teenagers have a very different perception of time. I have three daughters. Um, They all have different perceptions of time. Mm -hmm. And I think his perception of time is that his present memory isn't functioning. And yet he has very strong, which we often find uh, uh, with older people, Mm -hmm. um, this sense of time. I, I also have part of my career, I work in psychiatry. So I work with people who have different relationships also to time. And there are different characters in this very brief moment that you're catching there. There's obviously our hero, but there's also the woman and there's the, you know, the teenager, the young man, and there's the cashier. And they all have their own perspectives on that moment. And you capture that so well. And it really made me think of every single trip to the supermarket. I think supermarkets are the places where people try to feel less alone than they normally do. Mm. They kind of seek out, or I should say we seek out, we seek to connect with people thinking that it's a real connection, but of course it isn't. So Stanley, in his absolute solitude, is the man who should be connecting with the people he meets, but he's not. There were a few phrases in your story that you know the judges really discussed with huge interest. For example, one judge, I think it was Alison Flood, actually the uh, literary critic at The Guardian, who loved your description of a hoovered lounge because it instantly conjures up 
you know, hundreds of hoovered lounges, you know, all over Britain. It's a very English kind of uh, moment, isn't it? Um, does that connect with something in your life? <laughs> um, I think a lot of... Um, places that I've been to, houses that I've visited and the mm. stripes that you'll mm. have in the lounge and the idea of hoovering. And I think because, like you say, it's a very, very British thing. Um, and one of the things interesting culturally when you leave your country is that you become very aware of things like like carpets, which you won't have. French will have a tiled floor that they'll mop. It would be a mopped floor. Yeah. Um, whereas Britain, it's very much that hoovered lounge. And I think when you're writing that type of story, those visceral details, and when you were talking earlier about the people in the queue, I wanted to build up their narrative through their um, objects of their shopping. Um, and I've read, I'm, I'm actually really interested in supermarkets. I've read quite a lot about them. And I read a lot of articles before I wrote this story about cashiers mm. and supermarkets to look at the different way the narrative. So the woman in front who's got the huge bar of dairy milk, one carrot and the mint. So she's also quite lonely. We know that she's probably yeah. eating her meal alone. Mm -hmm. So she's actually as lonely as Stanley is. And then behind there's the young man who has the single rose. Mm. but is a kind of young masculine. So who's he going to give this single rose to? How will he give it? Why will he give it? And I really, um, I'm really, i really interested in the idea of our relationship between stories and objects, mm -hmm. our own personal objects and what the stories we've created from them. And then how in a story, when you build it, how you make a story from objects. And I think we all have a relationship to why like, for example, the relationship in the story to bananas, that's very much a generational thing, I think, for that generation as well, where eating bananas was a luxury that only started for certain people in the 50s and 60s. So yeah. even the banana yeah. is, is actually mm. quite a specific choice, I think, in the story. Yes, I loved how you actually included, as you just said, mini stories kind of spin-off stories within this very short story. So as you just said, this character, also very lonely, this character, just people in the queue with their own stories. So Stanley is in the queue mm -hmm. with all these people around him, and his life obviously is the one that we're most interested in. Mm -hmm. But their stories also are visible, and you can start thinking about them in that same sort of context of people being lonely in a place which is full of maybe lonely people. Mm. But then Stanley goes home and it is that part of the story which is quite haunting actually because you you know that that is where he spends most of his life. As you say in the story, bolted, the door's locked, he's in his world, this is the only place where he feels safe. Mm. And that is where he's actually not alone. Mm. because this is where his memories of his life, his previous life with his wife, flood his mind, his heart, his soul. This is a situation, this is a kind of, you know, moment which is so rich with emotion mm. and storytelling that I wondered how difficult did you find our premise or our rule that the story should not exceed a thousand words? I did find it quite difficult. Mm. There was things in that story that I think I would have taken further. Uh, I think in his sense of home, 
to develop more in a very visceral way uh, how he look, would look after his home and some maybe specific elements about his home. And also things like the history of a banana. That, mm. that would have been, interestingly enough, I think something that I would have developed because it is a post-war, very particular type of food that people mm. eat in a particular way for a particular generation. And at the same time, what I find really important as a writer is that those word limit is a very strict discipline yeah. and it takes you to the bare bones of a story. So it, it was hard a thousand words because I think that story could have gone to 1,500. But at the same time, as I was saying earlier, with that idea of a short story being, I, I mean, I love work of people like Raymond Carver yeah. or, or, or those short stories that are very, very short or of a lot of flash fiction you see now. Mm. And the discipline in carving that language down into something very, very essential and just how you place spaces or sentences in a row actually takes you to a discipline. Like one of my favourite lines in the story is when I read it again, when I found out um, that it had been shortlisted, was the line where he says he fell to his knees because there was nowhere else to go or it was where he had to be. I can't mm. remember that exact line. But just almost that moment, I was so happy that I'd managed to put that in there and it just had the impact because I wanted a moment yeah. to express his solitude and also give him human dignity. Mm -hmm. I think that for me is so essential that characters have dignity, whoever they are, and to expand our understanding, I guess, of, of human existence through yes. those different characters and give them that dignity. It's not because you're an old man in a queue with bananas no. that you don't have a whole life story mm -hmm. behind you mm -hmm. um, and an extraordinary experience that you can't share with the exactly. guy behind. Exactly. You even, you even managed to bring in his previous professional life, his life as a ladies' man, maybe mm. uh, as a popular dancer, loving husband. All of that was in there. Even his, you know, a mention of his grandchildren. Um, it was all in there. His inner life was so beautifully drawn with such minimalist strokes, but the, it was all in there. So I actually think that if you had had more than a thousand words at your disposal and you had maybe indulged in this idea or that idea, it would not have added mm. anything mm. to not only the structure of the story, but its impact. Mm. I think the impact of this story is particularly strong because it is as short as it is. And I really... Love it. Did you write the story specifically for this competition or did you already have it? Did you rewrite it? How did no, it, it was specifically for the competition. So how did, how did you hear about the competition and what made you want to write this specific story? A friend who was a writer sent mm -hmm. me an email about the competition. And then the idea, I have a book where I keep ideas of short stories where I'll write a paragraph or I'll write an idea. And I think on that day, it happened to be that idea that spoke to me because I think when you work creatively or you write or you paint or you compose music, it's very much a meeting of the inspiration on that day that suddenly that story is speaking to you. 
So I think it was that kind of, mm. I was going to say concours de circonstance in French. It was, <laughs> that, it was that meeting of situations of um, getting the email and then finding that in the book and very much wanting to write this character. That specific yeah. story. Yeah. I think short stories, they should never be written off as an easy mm. uh, task because I think they do, um, every word counts. It's a very precise craft but I think it's an excellent way. There are so many projects. We spoke earlier, one of the judges, Preeti, has the Vigil Verse project. And there are so many small presses that are running projects yeah. these days. Very good quality online places that mm -hmm. are interested in short fiction. And I think, like what you said earlier, it's the discipline. Also, when you're writing novels or longer works, mm -hmm. I think short stories can come in as almost a moment of a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. They've been like that for me. So when I've been working on longer works of fiction or bigger books, they've definitely been a moment where I can go and just focus myself for 48 hours into a text and lose myself in that short story. And because, like you say, of the discipline, there's this kind of concentration where I just, I've always written short fiction mm -hmm. and I do love it for its kind of lightning bolt idea and encapsulating a world in a few sentences. What are you working on at the moment, Susanna? Well, I've just finished my memoir, a memoir I've written. Uh, my sister died uh, four years ago. It was a very sudden, tragic death following an illness. She was young. And so the memoir is an exploration of almost like what David Grossman says when he talks about when he loses his son, uh, marking out the territory of his grief. And in that moment, what happened is that it was almost like a door opened up into a childhood that we'd shared with my sister because we grew up in a commune. And so the memoir is an exploration of almost the wilderness of that period with moments of great wonder and also moments of great darkness and interweaves the story of working through the grief and looking back at our childhood. Interesting because I feel that this short story, Oh, I Do Love a Banana, is also an exploration of grief in a way, in a different way. And so sometimes, you know, you may have been working on or thinking about your memoir or topics related to that, but writing the story and maybe some of those topics have worked their way into this very short story. Do you think so? Definitely. I think that grief for me, uh, I also, this was the second sister I'd lost. And I think for me, an exploration of grief, it's a subject I'm very drawn to, having lost a lot of close people during my life and how we cope with grief, and also how grief can give us a huge taste for life. Thank you so much for coming here, for talking to us. And again, congratulations on winning our award. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Eleanor. Thank you. <laughs> Liz Robinson, welcome to the Love Reading Celebratory podcast, where we are really celebrating the winners of our short story award, officially known as the very first Love Reading Very Short Story Award 2019. Liz, you are the reviews editor at Love Reading, 
And independently, you and I have both had the idea of a short story award for love reading, and it just kind of gelled and happened. And we are both very, very pleased with the results. How do you feel? I feel absolutely thrilled with how it's gone, right from when we both independently had the idea through to it coming to fruition, the choosing of the judges, and then the stories that we received. I think they were absolutely fantastic, and I'm thrilled with our two winners. Absolutely thrilled. Before we talk about our two winners, let's talk about the judges. Our judges, so Preeti Tanasia, uh, she won the Desmond Elliott Prize last year with We That Are Young. And the book was just a fiercely beautiful read. It was absolutely gorgeous. She's also worked as a human rights reporter and teaches writing in prisons. Then Alison Flood also joined us. Uh, she's the books reporter for The Guardian, reviews thrillers for The Observer and writes for the bookseller monthly paperback preview. And then our last judge was Maxine Jakubowski. Uh, who, to be quite frank, is just a legend in the book world. Author, he's previously worked in senior positions in publishing. He owned the Murder One Bookshop and is currently the chair of the CWA John Creasy New Blood Dagger Award. And how about yourself, Liz? Ah, yes, good point. I was one of Who the judges, wasn't Liz, I? Liz Robinson. <laughs> uh, so I'm the Love Reading Reviews Editor and I've been writing reviews across all the genres since February 2014, so five years now. Last year, I was a judge for the Romantic Novelist Association Goldsboro Romantic Novel of the Year, mm -hmm. which I really enjoyed doing. And I think that helped point me in the direction of perhaps thinking about a competition for love reading. And I've been excited about the process from the beginning right the way through. I've loved every second of it, actually. So we had real depth I think, mm -hmm. with our judging panel. Depth was, and diversity. Oh, we yes. were all very different, We, you know, but we somehow managed to agree on a long list and a short list yes. and the three top stories in a way that wasn't particularly painful, was it? It wasn't at all. I, there weren't any clashes, were there? Mm. I mean, there was discussion. There was plenty mm. of discussion when we were talking about the stories, slight differences of opinion. Mm -hmm. But basically, I think we came down to our sort of final four in the end with relative ease, didn't we? But we, we had some really cracking stories in there. To so to just go, let's just go over the approach that we had, which was quite unusual for a short story award. Absolutely. It was the judge's choice, yes. which we were just discussing. Yes. And there is the people's vote. Yes. Um, how did the people's vote really work? Well, the people's choice award for me, as you say, is it, it's completely what sets us apart. What we wanted to do was include our community of readers and members. We've got our reader review panel and that contains hundreds of people from all around the country, from authors, librarians, bloggers, just, just lovers of the written word really. It made it quite exciting because what we really didn't know was whether we were going to both, as it were, choose the same winner or whether we were going to as it has happened, have two very different winners. And I'm thrilled with the fact that we've got the two different winners. I think it just proves how diverse everybody is mm. and, and I'm thrilled. So just to refresh everyone's memory, what exactly was the shortlist that was published on the website and from which our Love Reading members and readers voted for their favourite? Okay, so the top 10 shortlist, uh, we had Who Killed Cock Robin? Trouble at the Orange Palace, Digo the Dog, On Common Readers, Two Lives in Every Genre, Meat Paste, 
If It Had Happened to You, Oh I Do Love a Banana, The Undiscovered Tribe and The Singing Apple Trees. So the winner, the judge's winner, was Oh I Do Love a Banana. Yes. We'll talk about that in a moment. (laughs) Uh, But let's talk about the people's winner first. So the people's winner was, drumroll... Jan Stannard with her short story called The Undiscovered Tribe. And how very different is that story from the other winning story? It's hugely different, isn't it? It's based on sort of, well, almost dystopian sort of fantasy story. And yet there's a hope to it. It's quite charming. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's a real bite, isn't there? It's Mm -hmm. got a huge bite to it. I love how it's flipped and I love how um, you've got the twist. And yeah, and at the end when I finished, there's a sadness with what's happened, but there's real hope there, I felt. There's hope there, but it also feels painfully real. It really connects with the times we live in right now, because we are living in a kind of present day dystopia almost. The news every day, you know, Mm. is very scary Mm. and very worrying. Mm. And there doesn't seem to be a way out simply because nobody is able to agree on a way out. Mm. And so when you think about the future generations, it's very, very worrying and really frightening, I think. And this story, I think, really plugs into that in a very literary but also very accessible way. Mm -hmm. It's almost a reflection more than a story. And I think within the short, very short story format, it managed to kind of almost combine a mini essay, Mm -hmm. a reflection with something that happened that was a memory being told and retold and, you know, remembered. And I I loved how short, how storytelling was so important and being passed down. So I think we should really introduce the winner, the winning author of the People's Choice story, The Undiscovered Tribe. Her name is... Jan Stannard. And Jan Stannard let us know that she spent her career writing for clients as a PR consultant, and she's always written poetry and scraps of novels, but never let them see daylight. Then, about three years ago, she had a really compelling idea for a novel which she recently finished, and she's now looking for an agent, if any are listening. (laughs) She wrote the first draft of this short story, The Undiscovered Tribe, as an exercise on a creative writing course with Arvon. She had decided to use the we point of view, which made her think of a tribe. She thought about her own ancestors who would have lived deep in the forest and then how humankind may have to live like that again if we carry on as we are environmentally. Flipping the idea of discovering a tribe just came to her. She says that each time she reads the end, when land once under tarmac has gone back to nature, It always brings her to tears. As it's the first short story she's ever written, Mm. reaching the Love Reading shortlist and winning the People's Choice Award is particularly special. So she says a big thank you to everyone who voted for her. And I'd like to add our thank yous to that. We are very, Mm. very grateful to everyone who's voted for our shortlisted stories and made their selection and took the time to read them and think about them. And how fascinating, Liz, that this is the first story this author has ever written. It makes me very excited, actually, about this award really making something happen for writers. Because as you know, and I'd like to really emphasize this, we did not have a 
precondition which says you must be a published author. Exactly. Our authors, the authors of the short stories submitted to us, could be first-time mm-hmm. writers. Mm-hmm. You know, they may never write another story again, but they wrote that one. Yes. And this winner did that. Yes. Our winning story, Oh, I Do Love a Banana. Yes. What did you think of it? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It really spoke to me, actually. It's quite deceptively simple, full of wonder and heartache. And I really fell in love with Stanley. Wasn't he gorgeous? Mm-hmm. He, he, You could feel his pain. You could feel his uncertainty. And yet, when he ran out... I was running alongside him. I was cheering him on. And yet you knew how uncertain he was feeling and anxious. And then when he got home into his sanctuary, and that last paragraph is quite heartbreaking, actually, when, Mm. when, when he gets there and you can just see the story repeating again and again. You could just start at the beginning. Yeah and read the whole thing again, and that would be his life, wouldn't it? Yeah, and a little piece of my heart broke, but there was also joy in there as Mm -hmm. well, and his memory of his wife. It was just how simple his life was, but when the conveyor belt was talking about going up into the night sky, and you just felt how huge it was. The world around him, yes. So both these stories are very, very relevant, and that is why I think... Both the judges Uh and the people's choice connected with them and loved them. And I'm just so pleased that this first time Short Story Award, very Short Story Award, managed to bring out such excellent writing and such, you know, meaningful writing. And I really hope that these writers and all the writers who send us their stories, whether they were selected or not, but just the fact of, you know, submitting uh-huh. it means they take their writing seriously and I hope they will all take it to the next level. Yes. Liz, is there a message from Love Reading that you would like to share? Yes. Deborah McLaren, our managing director, has said that we were delighted by the number of entries we received in this inaugural year. The quality of the writing inspired us and the panel loved reading the stories as they flowed through the doors. We want to make this an annual event and look forward to many more successful years of reading wonderful, very short stories. To add to this, we are looking to launch the Love Reading for Kids Very Short Story Award in 2019 and are incredibly excited about that too. Thanks to our wonderful judges and the many writers who submitted a story this time round and well done to our well-deserving winners and all of those who were shortlisted. On that note, I would like to thank you, Liz, and thank you to all the writers who participated and the judges and the readers. And it's been a wonderful experience and it's going to be wonderful again next year, we hope. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's listen to the winner of the People's Choice vote, The Undiscovered Tribe by Jan Stannard. The Undiscovered Tribe by Jan Stannard We were children when we first saw them. We had been deep in the forest that day, in lands we did not know, and we came home bursting with a story to tell our mothers and fathers. Listen, we said, you must listen. We went far away today, further than we have ever been, and we found a strange place. You have never taken us there, and it was not like any place in the legends. 
Our mothers and fathers looked at each other. Go on, they said. We were pretending to hunt deer, we told them. We were good hunters. We avoided every twig and made no sound. We found paths made by animals and went along with our bows and arrows at the ready like you taught us. After a while, we came to a place where the trees stopped and beyond them was a huge plain. We dropped down flat and wriggled forward to see what lay ahead. We did not understand what we were seeing. All the forest had been cut down and from the ground rose tall grey things like towers of rock. We went nearer until we could see big holes in the sides of the towers. We went closer still, and through the holes we could make out people just like us, sitting and watching shapes flicker on a flat thing in front of them. Between the towers were wide tracks of hard black stuff. Along these tracks went moving objects with people in them. There were puffs of grey, like small clouds coming out from behind them, and a smell came into our noses, like smoke from a fire, but not as good. Grey paths ran each side of the black, and on them were stony-eyed walkers, holding something odd in one hand. Some bent their heads to gaze at it, while touching it with their other hand. Others raised it to one ear and seemed to be speaking into it. They did not talk to each other, though. People went past as if they were invisible. No one smiled. We looked about for other creatures, but there were none, not even birds. We felt frightened and we jumped up and ran home to tell you. Our parents had listened attentively. Then they looked at one another again. We waited for their fear to erupt or their astonishment and their insistence that we take them back to the place right away. Instead, they applauded us. They congratulated us on our tall tale and our vivid imaginations. Our resentment at not being believed softened as we basked in such high praise. They knew that would be the effect. Nothing was more important to our people than being able to tell stories and we were youngsters learning our craft. Tales did not come more fantastical than this. Our parents banked on that too. They wanted to protect us. We know that now. They did not want us to tread those grey paths. In our huts that night, we began to doubt ourselves in the face of their disbelief. We went over every legend for clues, even the one about the old civilization that nearly spoiled the earth until it heated up in vengeance. Nothing explained what we had seen. We are parents now, and we tell our children the story of how we once found an undiscovered tribe and went back to make contact when we had grown up. It was sad that so many of them died from our diseases, but those who survived returned to the forest in the end. They abandon their traditions of watching screens and being lonely. Our children smile when they hear this. They say they cannot imagine living like that. Then they go outside to play. The black stuff and the grey paths? They have long since crumbled. Birds fly over the place, calling. And our children pretend to hunt for deer in the forest that grows there again. 
This has been a special edition of the Love Reading Podcast dedicated to our Very Short Story Award 2019. I would like to thank our guests, Susanna Crossman and Liz Robinson. The winner's stories were read by Rebecca Payton. The podcast was produced by Alex Raymond with original music by Alex Raymond. Please find both winning stories and interviews with their authors on our website, www.lovereading.co.uk. I'm Elena Lappin. Thank you for listening.